Our God and Father, Lord, we honor you and we praise you this day. And we are so thankful, God, for your mercy and your grace to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for his precious blood that was poured out for us. We thank you, Lord, that you have now come to live in us by your Holy Spirit and given us all that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of you. We ask, God, that you would strengthen us in our faith, help us to live lives that honor and glorify you. We thank you for the privilege that we have today to gather in this place and to freely proclaim your word. We ask, God, as we look into your word, that you would fill our hearts, cleanse our minds, help us, God, in our faith. We ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sorry, I need to turn this on here. Okay. So we've been talking about justification. And... uh, You know, really talking about the fact that the doctrine of justification is the heart of the gospel. So when we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, and we talk about the fundamental issue that is at stake, that is that mankind has fallen away from God through sin, that it is through the justification that Jesus provides by his life and his death that we are reconciled to God. And so, if you will, that work of atonement that Christ did at the cross and that imputation whereby God gives us his righteousness by imputation, that process is called justification. And justification really is simply just a legal declaration by God declaring us now to be righteous in his sight on the basis of what Christ has done. And so that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is the basis for justification. We're kind of talking about the nuts and bolts of justification, what it is that Christ has done and what it practically means. And so we've, we've gone over these kind of basic components of it, which we call propitiation, expiation, and imputation. And I uh, just want to talk with you about those big Bible words. Propitiation is what? Somebody tell me, what is propitiation? Okay, it's a satisfaction, right? Satisfaction of what? Of wrath, of God's wrath. So propitiation is toward God. God is the one who needs to be propitiated. And Christ's death propitiates God's wrath. It satisfies God's wrath. It appeases God's wrath. Okay? Because God is holy, because God is altogether righteous and perfect, He he must judge sin. Because God is good, He must judge sin. And so every sin that's ever been committed and ever will be committed in the history of the universe is going to be righteously judged 
And the consequences are going to be borne out by God because God is altogether just. The question is, are we going to pay the penalty for our sin or is Christ going to be our substitute, stand in our place and pay the penalty for our sin for us? There's only two choices. And there's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who've been justified and those who have not. And there's only one way to be justified. Amen? Amen. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Amen? Amen. It's only through Christ that God's wrath can be propitiated. The only other way to propitiate the wrath of God is for us to bear it in and of ourselves, which is what death and hell are. Death and hell are the expressions of God's good and righteous justice towards sinners. Amen? And so that's why Christ died as a sacrifice. He died as a substitute in our place. He died for us in our place. Amen? And when he did that, he satisfied the wrath of God. That's propitiation. And then expiation. Somebody tell me, what is expiation? Okay. It's the removal of guilt. Now, how did Christ, Christ remove our guilt? Anybody? Okay, as far as the east is from the west. But how did he do it? Completely. But how did he do it? Okay, he died on the cross, yes, but how does that remove guilt? Payment. Payment of the consequences of sin. He paid all the consequences. Therefore, guilt has no consequences left to be borne because the price has been paid in full. Therefore, the guilt, the power of the guilt, right? The power of sin is the what? The law. But Christ, remember last week we were looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, which are printed on your handout on page 105, right in about the middle of the page there. Colossians 2 says, And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, listen, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You remember that? That's Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Now, consider this. The scripture is saying that he has canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Now, what is the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us? Somebody tell me. The law. The law is in view here. The law is in view here. And, and if you will, that's a list of our sins. Why? Because the law is filled with thou shalt nots, all of which we have done, right? And the law, the law it's full of thou shalts that we have not done, right? Two kinds of sin, remember? Sins of omission and sins of commission, Right? And that is, if you will, compiled for us a certificate of debt. A certificate of debt. A debt we owe. A debt we owe to who? To God. Right? Because we've transgressed His law. 
so that the wages or the payment of sin is death. We owe the debt of death. Right? Now what did Christ do? He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He paid the debt. The debt is paid. And so now guilt no longer has any power. The law no longer has any power to condemn those who are in Christ because the debt has been paid in full. Amen? And of course we've discussed at length last year and this year how it is that Christ is able to pay that debt is because he's perfectly righteous in and of himself. And when he dies, he's not dying for his own sin. Not only that, but since he is perfectly righteous... When he dies, he's able to pay the debt of sin in its totality. That's why the scripture makes the statement that he died not only as a propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And what is in view there is the value, the worth of the blood of Christ as a propitiation. It's valuable and sufficient enough to atone for all sins of all ages. Okay? And so, if you will, then, the debt has been paid, our guilt has been removed. That's expiation. That's another part of justification. Because when God declares us righteous, we're righteous in His sight. There's no longer any guilt. The guilt has been removed, and as Carol said, our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. We are reckoned then, in the sight of God, Righteous. No sin debt. It's been paid. And so that brings us to this last component we've been talking about, which is imputation. Right? Somebody tell me, what is imputation? Okay, the credit of Christ's righteousness to our account. Now, remember how we talked about that the law was filled with thou shalt's? that we have not done, that the law had preceptive requirements of us that we have not fulfilled. The law had precepts where God has commanded us to do specific things that we have not done. And so what Jesus did was he came and lived a perfectly righteous life and he fulfilled the law in every aspect. He fulfilled every single precept of God. So that now what God does is he imputes our sin to Christ and Christ dies for our sin and he takes Christ's righteousness and he imputes it to us and credits us credits it to us who believe right not on the basis of any good deeds we have done not on the basis of any works but simply because we trust him for it amen and so if you will uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 And verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Romans 5.18 and 19 says, So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. 
And so it is through the obedience of Christ being credited to our account in imputation that we stand completely and fully righteous before God. So that now when God sees us, he sees us in Christ, having all of our sin removed and having Christ's righteousness imputed to us. And so, if you will, in justification, it's something that God's done on our, on our behalf for the sake of Christ. And it's therefore perfect. Are you with me? So, and this is why I keep emphasizing that you can rest. If you trust Christ for your righteousness before God, you can rest. Okay? It doesn't mean that you're not the servant of God. It doesn't mean that now you haven't devoted your life to His service. It doesn't mean that we don't strive every day to keep His commandments and walk in holiness and righteousness. It doesn't mean that we... we uh, but, but all of those things are not burdensome for those who believe. You understand? It's our good pleasure. It's our good delight to love God and to walk in all His ways and to fear Him and to do what is right. Amen? For those who've been born again by the Holy Spirit, we hate sin and we love God. So we strive to be a people of peace and of joy and of righteousness. And we strive to be a people who put off sin and put on the new man, which is created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Amen? And so when I say we rest, I, I'm not saying that that means that we just kind of fall over and die and lay on the couch and be a couch potato, right? I'm suggesting that you no longer have to strive to be good enough for God because you'll never get there. You with me? It's kind of an affront to the grace of God when we strive so hard seeking to earn the favor of God somehow that He might now save us. Or that we're so boastful to say that God's going to let us into His heaven because we're good people. That is an absolute slap in the face of the dying Son of God on the cross. Are you with me? Listen, we're not good people. That's what got Jesus in this predicament in the first place. Are you with me? That's why Jesus is dying on the tree. Because we're not good people. Because we've already offended the Holy God. But the good news is, family, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You with me? In spite of the fact that we've offended God, God richly pours out His grace on us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so then, <clears throat> kind of the nuts and bolts of justification are, listen, that God can now declare us righteous on this basis. On what basis? That Christ has died to satisfy His wrath, and He's thereby removed the guilt and the consequences of our sins so that we could be pardoned, right? And go free from the consequence of sin and death, right? And that now He is also imputing to us the perfect righteousness of Christ's life to our account. And on that basis, then, God declares us righteous. Okay? Now, I just want to make sure I've repeated this enough times. It doesn't mean that we are in and of ourselves righteous. It is a declarative act. Okay? And you may have heard me use the terms 
I don't expect you to remember the Latin. Right? Simul, Eustus, et, Picotter, right? Sorry. Not real good with my Latin. As a matter of fact, it's the only Latin I know. <laughs> right? Simul, Eustus, et, Picotter. Who knows what that means? Simultaneously just and sinner. Okay? That's the state that we're in right now. We've been justified by Christ, yet we still live in a body of sin. You understand? If we were righteous in and of ourselves, we wouldn't sin anymore. Because we would be already righteous. Are you with me? However, what God has done in justification is He's declared us righteous so that we're righteous in His sight. Okay? So this is kind of the state that we're in while we're in the process of sanctification. We're simultaneously just and sinner. Or as some like to say, sinners saved by grace. Amen? But the point is is that we, we shouldn't... You know, one of the false teachings about justification is is that God uh, eventually works into us His righteousness to the point that we actually become totally righteous. So that we're righteous in and of ourselves. And that our justification isn't actually complete until we become righteous in and of ourselves. Okay? Family, that doesn't ever happen until glorification. Until God comes and transforms this body so that it is immortal. So that it's no longer subject to sin and death. So that it's no longer weakened in the flesh and subject to sin and temptation. Right? But He is going to transform this lowly body into conformity with the body of His power. Right? We're going to be made like Him so that we're immortal. And no longer than that at that point we will be totally righteous in and of ourselves because we'll be glorified in that state of glory like He is. And that's our great hope. Amen? I mean, isn't that what we long for? To be utterly and finally free from sin? Amen? Okay. So then, God's justice has been fully met. This is the good thing about justification, okay? God's justice has been fully met. So that there is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Right? And, at the same time that God's justice has been fully met, God's grace has been glorified and magnified. He did it freely for us. So now we are the recipients of this marvelous blessing, not on the basis of anything that we've done but because of His own purpose and grace. 2 Timothy 1.9 Right? So now we receive the free gift of God. We receive justification freely as God's grace. He gives it to us freely. And family, this is the motivation then to live a holy life. This is the thing that gives us victory over sin. It's a, it's a gratitude. It's a thankfulness. It's not that the law is looming over us anymore. 
It's not that the, the, the debt consisting of decrees is hanging over our head so we go through the drudgery of life with all of our might trying to struggle against sin. That's not how it works. God has freely justified us. We've been set free. And so now God says, will you please obey me? Gives us the Holy Spirit. Gives us power over sin. Gives us the the knowledge of the kingdom of God. Tells us and gives us all the discernment that we need to be like Him, right? And so that now we have everything we need to live a life that glorifies Him. To walk in all of His ways and to fear Him so that He can be pleased with us. That He can dwell with us and fellowship with us. And He can be our God. We can be His people. Amen? So much so that the Bible says we are the temple of the living God. And that He dwells in us. Amen? If you ever wonder if the cleansing work is complete, you know, if these promises just at some time seem to be too good to be true, just consider that the Holy Spirit has come to reside inside of you. And He's always there with you. No matter what you face, no matter how badly you blow it, the Holy Spirit is always there to comfort and to guide you back to the presence of the Father. He's always there. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Amen? So if you're ever wondering if these are true, just remember the Spirit of God is still there. And I know you know this because you sense His power. You fellowship with Him daily. He's there. He's your comfort. He's your guide. He's your refuge. He's your strength. He's your joy. Amen? Amen. And because none of that ever departs from you. You you ever notice that nothing can steal your joy? I mean, if you're a real Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you may face some very dark days, but nothing takes that internal joy that you have. Are you with me? That's the Spirit of God living inside your heart. Because now you've become the temple of the living God and He dwells in you by His Spirit. Amen? His kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy lives in your heart by His Spirit. What a glorious reality that is. So then, Christ's righteousness is now ours and this has then fully met all the requirements of God's law for us that before his seat as our righteous judge, we can be declared righteous on this basis of propitiation, expiation, and imputation. And all of this is brought about justification before God. So the scripture says, much more than Romans 5.9, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And so this is what it means to be saved. It means that we're saved from the wrath of God. That we're no longer subject to the wrath of God. That Christ has borne the wrath of God for us in our place. And what this has done is this has restored our relationship with God. Okay? And I want you to get this kind of mental picture in your head. You may have seen a painting. I know I've seen a painting in the past of God standing in the garden. And Adam and Eve are hanging their heads in shame as he is pointing 
and they are being put out of the garden. Have you seen that painting? I don't know who painted it, but it's an image in my head of man being estranged from God because of sin. And if you will, that shame whereby they are hanging their heads, no longer can they look on the bright countenance of the glorious face of God. But in darkness and in shame, they are put out of the presence of God. Well, that estrangement that took place whereby God is infinitely angry with man because of sin, and man is covered with shame and sorrow because of what he's done to God. That estrangement in the relationship has been corrected by Christ. And that's what we call reconciliation. It's the restoring of the relationship between God and man. You know, God doesn't just make a legal declaration. He does that. And it's a glorious and fabulous thing. And it's the nuts and bolts of salvation. It's the nuts and bolts of the gospel. That God does this legal thing so that it's with finality. We've been justified, okay? But he goes a much further step than just that. So much so that now we've been restored in our relationship with God. And this we call reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God through Christ. God took the initiative and sent his son Jesus to reconcile him to ourselves. So you think about this term reconciliation. It's really something that, that has to do with relationship, isn't it? When a couple is fighting and they're struggling and they... They, they're not getting along anymore. And they have an angry argument or a fight, right? What needs to happen? Right? They need to reconcile. They need to have that relationship restored again. Are you with me? Which is exactly what has happened because of justification. We've been reconciled to God. And so this is what the Bible says, Second Corinthians 5.18. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so, if you will, the scripture says that God reconciled us to himself. Now, here is another thing. Remember how I always tell you that salvation is wholly the work of God. Or, I mean, wholly as in whole. The, it's completely the work of God. God does every bit of the work of salvation. Not just all of those beautiful things that we talked about that happened by the life and death of Christ, but also even this restoring of the relationship. The restoring of the relationship is something that God has done. God has reconciled us to himself. Okay? So that if it's something that God does, it is therefore... Perfect. It's complete. If God has reconciled us to himself, family, there's nothing then in between us and God. God has removed the hostility between himself and man by the cross. He's taken the initiative and he is the one who is inviting us to be reconciled to him. Right? He's simply saying, come unto me. All ye are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Come to me, he says. Learn of me. Because I am gentle, he says, and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. See, the Lord understands that we're weak. And he's the one who's reaching out to us. We have simply but to be accepted by the Father. Amen? On the basis of what Christ has done. God reconciled us to himself. In this reconciliation, we now exult in God. This means that we are overwhelmed with joy because of the most fundamental problem that mankind faces, that is, estrangement from God because of sin, has been corrected and we can now rejoice that we have been brought back into right standing with him through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if you get that mental picture in your mind again of God standing in the garden, pointing his finger, and Adam and Eve walking away from the presence of God with the angel there with the flashing sword, right? And, and their heads hung in shame. That picture of doubt and fear and estrangement from God has now been corrected at the cross. And God now looks like the prodigal father as the son is returning on the road back to his estate. And the father is receiving the son with open arms and embracing him and inviting him to come and to be reconciled and to be treated as a son, to be brought back into the fellowship or to be accepted in the beloved. Amen? And that is what God has done in reconciliation. Man's estrangement from God has been corrected, so much so that the Bible says that we now exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means we jump for joy. Right? We rejoice in the great thing that God has done. Romans 5, 10, and 11. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Okay? And, and here, the Bible's using these terms. We've been reconciled. Right? All of the things, you know, reconciliation is also a financial term. Right? What happens, what happens when, you finan- uh, when you reconcile finances? The balance, right? And the debt gets paid and, and uh, uh, hopefully you got something left over to go into savings, right? <laughs> but, but the point is, is that uh, uh, the, the finances get reconciled so that they balance, right? And, and so uh, here's the, the language of Scripture. We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled. You understand? It's past tense. This is something God has, has done through the death of His Son. He's reconciled to us. He's reconciled us to Himself. And the Scripture says, "We shall be saved by His life." We've been saved. Amen. That 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 banishment from the garden, that darkness, that shame, that death that's come upon the world and all that's in it for the last six thousand years. We've you know we're witnesses of it through history, right? All of that weight of evil and sin and wretchedness that's in the creation 
has been corrected at the cross. And we've been saved from that death. We don't have to die. Now we have life in Christ. Amen? And so, um, here's what the Scripture says. Not only this, not only shall we be saved by His life because we've been reconciled, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now you hear what he's saying? Because we've been saved, we exult in God. We glorify God. We say with the psalmist, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Why? Because of the joy that we've received by the Holy Spirit because we've been reconciled. Amen? If your Christian life is not filled with joy... Family, you are missing the great benefits that have freely been given to you. If you still, like guilty Adam, hanging your head in doubt and in fear, let me tell you, the heart of the Father is open and He's inviting you to come and to be reconciled and restored. He knows your dust. He knows you're weak. He knows your propensity to sin. That's why He sent Christ. Okay? Won't you let him come in and heal you? Won't you let him come in and restore you? Won't you let him come in and renew you? And fill you with the joy that is ours because of the great thing he has done. We don't have to be ashamed. Listen, the guilt has been removed. I understand. Sin is a shameful thing. It is a shameful thing. And when we sin, we, we, we go through tremendous bouts of shame and guilt. But at some point, you've got, you've got to lift up your head because your redemption is drawing nearer and nearer. Are you with me? At, at some point, you've got to receive the joy of forgiveness. And oh, how ready the Father is to forgive. What does He really require from you who have sinned? Except a contrite heart. It's except a, just a plain, honest recognition coming to God and saying, God, I blew it again. God, it's, it's number 1,474 times I've done this. Sound familiar? <laughs> but you understand that's why Christ had to die. Because of the et peccator part. You know, we're dust. We just don't have the strength within us. So, is that a license to sin? God forbid that that is a license to sin. Okay? But I can tell you what it is. It's cleansing from sin. It's a washing from sin. And the blood of Christ is not only good to wipe out your past sins, but let me tell you, it's good to cleanse your conscience from present sins. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Every day you need to be reminded that God is seeking to be reconciled and restored to you. He's seeking to fill you with His joy and with His peace and with His righteousness. And He's hoping that, that you exalting and, 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 and receiving the joy of salvation is going to motivate you to holiness. 
It's going to cause you to hate your sin so bad that you just don't ever want to do it again. Are you with me? That's how it works, family. So you need to deal with that sin. Are you with me? Here's how you do it. You come to the foot of the cross with a broken and a contrite spirit. you like that tax collector who comes in and won't lift his eyes toward heaven. you with me? And he's humble. And he beats his breast and he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. You know what Jesus says about that guy? He went down to his house justified. Why? Simply had a contrite, broken heart. Simple recognition of his sin honestly before God. Crying out, God help me. God, God have mercy on me. Amen? That's, that's all God really requires, family. And that's what faith is. Faith is a repentant, contrite heart that reaches out to God for its righteousness. And lives and walks in it every day. It's a trusting in and relying upon Christ to be everything for us. Our strength, our guide, our hope, our shield, our protector, our helper, our strong tower. Get out your pencil. We can make a huge list of everything that God is for us. Amen? Are you with me? And this is what he's done in restoring this relationship. He's restored the relationship so that now every man, every woman can be face to face with God. That now every man, every woman can be the temple of the living God. And God by his Holy Spirit can live in us and family we can exult. We can jump for joy. We can live in the celebration of what Christ has done for us. Yes, ma'am. Scripture says God exalts in us too. He does. Zephaniah 3. Please, by all means. They won't be able to hear me. Oh, well, I'll repeat it. Okay. <laughs> the Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He'll rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Mm-hmm. The Lord will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. With shouts of joy. You know? I mean, here's the whole deal. Do you you see the Father? I don't know about you if you have kids. Um, And and when you've been estranged, right? Is the heart of the parent ever not with the child? Are you with me? I mean, this is your own flesh, right? And, And the love that you have for that child, no matter how angry that child has made you, right? Your heart is for that child. Your heart is to be restored and reconciled to that child. Amen? How much more the perfect God, who is perfect in his love and perfect in his compassion, is he toward his children, right? So great is the Father's love, right? So great is the compassion that God has of those toward those who fear him. Amen? Were you going to say something, Harold? Yeah, I'd like to pull back just a little bit on re- reconciliation on Corinthians mm-hmm. 5.18. The last part of the statement there, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Is that, you didn't feel, I didn't feel like you covered that. No, I didn't. I didn't go there on purpose, but I'm going to go there. <laughs> so, but just, if you will, 
giving us the ministry of reconciliation is what? Preaching the gospel. Now, now in that context, there in Romans 5, in the latter part of Romans 5, we are the ministers of reconciliation, the ambassadors of God in Christ, right? Sent to reconcile men unto himself by preaching the reconciliation of God. Okay, so that's what he's saying there. Not only has God reconciled us to himself, but he's made us ministers of reconciliation, each one of us. Yeah, go ahead, brother. 2 Corinthians 5.20 mm-hmm. uh, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. You left that part off on 5.21, but I, I know you were trying to make another point there. Yeah, I'm, I, we're not studying that context there, right? Just simply talking about what reconciliation is. However, we are going to be talking about that in the last uh, weeks of, of this year's session. Uh, the fact that we are ministers of the gospel. Every Christian is a minister of the gospel, and every Christian has received the ministry of reconciliation. You understand what that means? That means we're servants of reconciliation between men and God. That's why the Bible says every Christian is a priest. Every Christian has a ministry as a priest. What's a priest do? Mediates between men and God. Right? Now, we understand there's only one mediator who's formally achieved the mediation. True? But there is a sense in which the Bible says we are a royal priesthood. Right? And that we have this ministry of reconciliation. And what, it, what is that ministry? Simply to go out and to preach the good news. To go out and herald the good news and to make disciples of all people everywhere. Amen? For there is no distinction between men. Okay, so then, um, on this basis, then, that we, that God has reconciled us to himself, that he's done this perfect work in restoring the relationship that we have to him, we can now fellowship with God once again. Okay? So that thing that was corrected in the garden, where Adam is leaving, hanging his head in shame, now that's been corrected. And we've been reconciled to God and we're all together back in the family again. We've been accepted in the Beloved. And now our relationship has been restored to God so that now we are said to have fellowship with God. Amen? So, He's not this far off God way off in heaven somewhere commanding the winds and the waves. But now He's a God very near. Amen? You understand? This is the name of Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. He's God with us. He's not just a God who is far off. And let me tell you, He is a God who is far off. He is a God who is in heaven ruling over the universe. Right? But He's also a God who is very near. How near is He? So near He is said to dwell in us. I will dwell among them and walk among them and I shall be their God and they shall be my people. And I shall put my spirit within them and cause them to walk in all my statutes. Amen? And so the law of God then now is written on our heart by the Holy Spirit. But we have this fellowship with God. We've been restored. And God has now invited us to fellowship with him and of course you know the picture in in the in the uh, ancient uh, middle east there is is 
you know, dining at the Father's table. You know? We've been restored to God. We exult in this relationship that we have with God. We can now fellowship with God. And listen to this. We are free to love Him. Not only are we no longer estranged, family, but we have been restored to God and given eyes to see through the mercy and the grace of God and what He's done in redeeming us from our sin and freely forgiving us and cleansing us and washing us and showing us of His mighty power, of His amazing grace and His amazing love. He's given us all these revelations of who He is, which, by the way, Adam didn't have. You say, how do you know that, brother? Because Adam hadn't sinned. You understand? This is the thing that the angels long to look into. Because they haven't sinned against God. They don't know what it's like to be a guilty sinner who's been reconciled and forgiven. Maybe that's the reason why I continue to sin. So that God can remind me again and again and again. Just how glorious His mercy and His grace really is. Who knows? The designs of God and all that He's done. Are you with me? But it seems like no matter how hard I try to exalt in glory in all the great things God has done, it's, it's not enough for me. You know what I'm saying? I wish I could repay Him a million times over. <laughs> I wish I could somehow have a thousand tongues to sing. Are you with me? Sometimes the joy of salvation is just so great, I don't have words for it. It's just an overflow of my heart. Amen? It's just a, it's just a connection I have between God and I through the Holy Spirit as I'm exalting in worship. Are you with me? I don't know how to articulate that. But I know you've experienced it. Right? But the fact of the matter is, God has redeemed us, and we have experienced this, and we have received a revelation of the amazing love and grace of God in salvation. This is the very thing we will celebrate in heaven forever and ever. But, but family, this is, this is how, how it's now fulfilled for us, that we're able to love God. In fact, Jesus says, of all the things that are written in the Bible... This is the great and foremost commandment of everything God has said. That you should love Him with all of your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And here's what I'm telling you this morning. You're free to love God. You are free to love God. Because He's removed every barrier that there is in your relationship to Him. They've all been removed. Even the sins you will commit tomorrow have been removed as far as the east is from the west. And you're free. You're free to love God. You're free to walk with God. You're free to experience the joy of relationship with God. Because you know what? You have peace with God. That's what the Bible says. You have peace with God now through faith in Christ. Romans 5.1 Right? And it's a wonder that we don't grow even more and even deeper in our relationship with God when God has gone to all these lengths to restore and reconcile that relationship to Him. And this is kind of how Peter describes it. He says, And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. 
And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. There's the words I was looking for. (laughs) Right? Joy inexpressible and full of glory. Family, that's the common Christian experience. Okay? That's normative for those who've been saved. Even though you do not see him, you love him. Do you love Jesus Christ? Are you enthralled with his person? If not, you've got some serious questions to ask and answer. Are you with me? Because that is the common experience. Here's Peter speaking to the church. Even though you do not see him, you love him. And and though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Amen? And so through this reconciliation to God, listen, we we exalt in God. We're, We're filled with joy, inexpressible joy. And you know, when people see our lives, that's what they ought to see. They ought to see a person that's filled with joy. Amen? Are you with me? That's coming for me. You know the guy that never smiles? Chief, chief of grumps. Right? You with me? Don't you know that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking? But it's a matter of what? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what people ought to see in our life. They ought ought to see us enjoying God, enjoying life, enjoying everything that God has so graciously given us. And they ought to see this love that we have for Jesus Christ. You know how that happens, right? We open up our mouth and we testify. Right? His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Right? We exalt in the reconciliation that God has done. Our relationship with God has been restored. Family, it's a glorious thing. Open up your mouth and tell somebody about it. Amen? Are you with me? Praise God. The below diagram by James Boyce is helpful in understanding reconciliation. And again, we, you know, we've looked at this before. But <clears throat> what happens is, Jesus propitiates God's wrath... God therefore justifies us and the relationship we have with Christ is He's our Redeemer. He's the one who's bought us back, paid the price to reconcile us from, from sin and death. right? And this is exactly what it's done. It's reconciled us. That's what reconciliation is. It's complete. God has taken care of every facet of His holy law. All the requirements of divine justice have been completely met so that our relationship is now Restored with God. And again, you know, salvation is pictured in the, in the New Testament again and again through a personal relationship. You know, Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, he said, you study that Bible. I'm paraphrasing. You study that Bible and you think because of those words you have eternal life. Or he says, you have life and the power of God. He says, you, you refuse to come to me to have life. That was his condemnation to the Pharisees. You know, they had their religion down to a T, man. You know what they didn't have? They didn't have a relationship 
to Christ, the living God. Which is why he came and became a man. So that he could show us the Father. So that he could manifest and communicate God to us. He is the Word of God. He's the communication of God to man. He's the living Word in the flesh. And no one will live who does not come to Christ to have life. It's all about your relationship to Christ. Amen? You with me? We have to come to Jesus to have life. Well, the scripture says that we do that by faith. Justification is applied or received by faith. That's why we always call it justification by faith. Are you with me? It's not justification by works. It's not justification by being a good Christian. It's not justification by keeping the commandments. You with me? Consider how many people actually answer that question when people, you know, you know, you, you, you hear gospel ministers talk about it all the time. They ask people, you know, why, why should God let you into heaven? You know, so many people, the first answer out of their mouth, well, I'm a good person. What are they trusting in for their righteousness? Is someone really going to stand before God on the day of judgment and say, God, you ought to let me into heaven because I'm righteous, because I'm good? Right? You know, I'm a good person. I don't want to hurt anybody. Sure, right. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Jesus says if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of the fires of hell. And how many of us have been angry with our brother? More times than we can count on both hands and feet. And just in that one commandment alone, we're done for. Are you with me? If you're trusting in the fact that you're a good person to be reconciled to God, you are abiding in death and you will die. I'll just try to explain this a hundred different ways to Sunday. Are you with me? The only thing that you can trust in to be reconciled to God is the perfect righteousness of Christ. And that's the gospel, family. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the nuts and bolts of the gospel. The right answer is, Jesus died for me. That's the right answer. Right? Why should I let you into my heaven? Jesus died for me. Jesus lived for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus is all my righteousness. Amen? Okay, so this justification is applied by faith. And just kind of, you know, summing this thing up. This is to say that the benefits of Christ's sacrifice become benefits realized for us through faith or trust in Jesus' work. We must believe in and rely upon the justifying work of Christ in order for it to be applied to us. This justification by faith is a gift not earned by God's free grace. Okay? And, of course, we've gone over that. It's a gift. It's a free gift. And if it's a gift, what? You can't earn it. And that's why the Scripture makes statements like, Romans 3.22 Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Right? 
Or like Jesus says in, in John uh, 6, right? He says, this is the work of God, to believe on the one he has sent. Amen? What does God expect us to do? Trust in Christ with a repentant, contrite heart. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting in Christ with a repentant, contrite heart. Trusting in and relying upon Christ for your righteousness. Amen? <clears throat> or in Romans 3.28, as crystal clear as it can get, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Amen? So the next time you're listening to that religion doctor, right? And he's telling you, yeah, Jesus plus, right? Or he's tying up and heaping some big heavy load on your back, some big religious load, right? I mean, it's all over the airwaves, right? The answer for him is, Jesus alone is my righteousness. Jesus alone has reconciled me to God. God has reconciled me to himself. Because his arm is not too short to save me. He saved me out of the depth and mire of sin. Christ saved me. You understand? And I'm free. And this is what Paul says in Galatians 5, right? He says... Here's, you know who he's talking to in the book of Galatians, right? Let me just give you a little context. Paul is writing to refute the heresy, which he identifies in chapter 1 as another gospel, a different gospel, which the Judaizers are teaching to the Galatian churches. And what is that other gospel? Here's what it is. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is great. Jesus is wonderful. But... You have to still keep the Jewish law in order to be a good Christian and in order to be saved. In other words, you're not really a Christian unless you're keeping the law and keeping the Sabbath and keeping the requirements of the law. Okay? And so the context of Galatians is Paul writing to refute the heresy of the Judaizers. They're called the Judaizers. Because they're taking the traditions of Judaism and they're trying to uh, uh, put them on the backs of the Gentile Christians. Okay? And so Paul writes and he says there in Galatians, By the works of the flesh shall no uh, flesh be justified. I'm sorry. By the works of the law, or obedience to the law, shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You know, so just so that Paul can make it really clear to the Judaizers and to the Galatian Christians exactly what he's saying, you don't have to keep the law to be saved. Because a man is justified by faith. The law, he says, is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. The law is a certificate of debt consisting in decrees against us. By which we've been heaping up wrath all of our life. Because we can't keep it and we constantly violate it. 
And so he's maintaining in the book of Galatians that justification and salvation happen by faith in Christ apart from the works of the law. And so he's kind of summing it up. He gets to chapter 5 and this is what he says. He says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. What's the yoke of slavery? He's saying, look, you were saved from, from your sins. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery, which is what? Well, for them, striving to keep the law to be acceptable in the sight of God, to earn the favor of God. Right? He says, don't go back to that uh, old principle. He says, verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you, that if you receive circumcision, okay, now he's, you know, here's one of the things they were saying. You had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Right? And, and, and that if you weren't circumcised, then you, you couldn't look to God for salvation. They were talking about salvation. They weren't just talking about, you know, Christian obedience. Okay? Of course, Paul's got some really harsh language about this whole thing. But he goes on, he says, If you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. He's saying, If you strive and seek and trust in your ability to obey the law of God, Christ will be of no benefit to you. You see what he's saying to him? Don't go back to that yoke of slavery. Don't go back to trying to earn God's favor by being obedient to his law. You can't do that. You've already blown it by sinning a thousand times. Right? He goes on. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit by faith are awaiting, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. You understand what he's saying? He's saying if you're seeking to be justified by the law, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Okay? So how do we see ourselves in relation to the law of God? It's real simple, family. The law of God is an expression of the character and nature of God. It's a holy, perfect expression. Now I'm saying holy in the sense of sanctified, holy. It's a holy, perfect expression of the character and nature of God. If you will, the law is a model for us of how to live our life, how to obey God, how to follow God. Okay? When we look at Jesus' life, we see a man perfectly keeping the law. Okay? But the last thing that the law is, is a means for us to be justified. On the contrary, it's the law that has condemned us because it is holy and it is perfect. In fact, sin is a transgression of the law. Okay? So the thing that we're not doing is we're not seeking to be justified by the law. We're seeking to be justified by simply trusting in Christ. Are you with me? Now I'm telling you, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Justification by faith in Christ. Every other religion means this. Man's attempt to please God in his own efforts. And that's when I use religion in a negative connotation. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's man's attempt to please God. And that is not Christianity, family. Listen. 
Do we seek to obey the law of God? Of course we do. Of course we keep the commandments of God. Of course we want to do everything in our power to do what's right in the sight of God. To walk in all of His ways and fear Him and, and, and love Him and love His law. We love the law of God. Why? Because it's an expression of our glorious God. But we don't seek to be justified by the law. Are you with me? Because a man is not justified by the law, he's justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay? So, what is our relation to the law? The law is a guide for us. It's something we love. It's something we pursue. It's something we strive to keep. But we don't find justification in the law. We find condemnation in the law as regards salvation before God. We're justified before God on the basis of the merits of what Christ has done only. Are you with me? Does that make it clear, our relation to the law? And just so that you have heard me say, (laughs) of course, we strive to keep the law, okay? But we're not relying on our ability to keep the law to be saved or justified before God. Are you with me? Any questions I can answer on that before we go? Joe. No, what it implies is, is these people who are seeking to be justified by the law never have been justified. And if they continue to do that, they're going to manifest the fact that they don't stand in the grace of God by faith. They were not in Christ. If they seek and continue to seek to be justified by the law. Well, I mean, we could go into a study of the doctrine of, uh, I don't want to call it eternal security, but we'll call it eternal security for sake of argument. And, and we can look at the scripture and we can see very clearly that anybody who's truly born again is never going to die. Why? Because they've been born again by the Spirit of God. And every person that's been saved has been born again by the Spirit of God, which means inherently you've received the life of God and you will never die. True? So is it possible to fall away from the grace of God? Well, it, it is in the sense of that's being used here. If, if, you're, if you're trusting in some kind of a religious system in order for you to be justified before God, in that sense, you, 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 Christ is of no benefit. The grace of God is not grace for you because you're meriting salvation, which means you really don't have it and you cannot be justified by it. It is. It is, and that's one of the arguments, of course, that's used in, uh, by people who would say that you could lose your salvation. So, if I've confused you immensely on that, I want to point you to a place on my website where I can answer all those questions for you. And you go to the salvation button, and... I think the document is called Eternal Security. And then there's another document there that says, Can a Christian lose his salvation? Okay. 
That's a big question to try to answer, and, right? Was there one more comment? Yeah. Right. Well, uh, I mean, again, you know, I I can go into to all the promises of God. For instance, uh, uh, John six, where where Jesus says that uh, all that the Father gives me, what will come to me, and those who come to me, I will never cast out. Right. But I will raise them up at the last day. Right? So, now, how many are all? All. All. Every one of them. Right? I will lose none of all that the Father has given me, but will what? John 6.39. Raise them up at the last day. Amen? And so, you know, you have these verses which seem to contradict, but obviously in the context here, the point is, is that if somebody is seeking to be justified by circumcision, right? Paul's terms fallen away from grace. What he's saying is, you can't abide in the grace of God if you're trusting in circumcision to be saved. Okay? All right, let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we thank you for the fact that you have reconciled us to yourself. You've restored our relationship. God, I pray that each one of us would be growing daily in this loving, gracious relationship that you have with us. I pray, Father, for those who have guilty conscience, that, Lord, they would go to the cross and be washed. And, Father, that they would come with a contrite, broken heart and find the joy of salvation. That, God, that their heads would be lifted up from shame and that your countenance would shine on their face and that they would realize again how perfectly you have restored our relationship to yourself. Oh, Lord, I pray for each and every one in the sound of the hearing of my voice that they would be restored again to the joy of salvation. That, God, they would no longer see their sins as a barrier, but that they would come to the cross and have them washed away. As far as the east is from the west, drowned in the deepest part of the sea, God. We thank you for such great and precious promises. In Christ's name, amen.